You are Locked On Pelicans, your daily podcast on the New Orleans Pelicans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Pelicans, the daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Pelicans and NBA as a whole, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, available on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm your host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter, editor of LockedOnPelicans.com, credential member of the media and all-around Pelicans insider, at Nola Jake on Twitter. Here with you guys on this, what is it, Wednesday? Thursday. Thursday. Here we go. We're almost at the end of the week. And the Pelicans got some help in the Western Conference playoff race, kind of, kind of, last night. We'll take a look at the standings, recap the scores from around the league last night to show you who lost and why this is going to absolutely be a furious finish for the Pelicans. Going to take some Twitter questions, open it up to you guys, since I said we got some time this week to kind of dive into the topics that you all want to hear about. And then we're going to talk Drew Holiday and some defense and why he absolutely needs to be on the all-defense team. So we're going to go through this all pretty quickly in today's edition of Locked on Pelicans. So as of this morning, the Pelicans sit tied in fifth in the Western Conference playoff race with a 43-32 and 32 record. The Spurs also are at 43-32, and 32, but the Pelicans do currently have the tiebreaker over them with one game left to go that could swing it either way. And that's going to, of course, be the final game of the season in the Smoothie King Center. You've got Houston locking up the one seed, Golden State locking up the two seed. They're basically in there. This is funny because if you look at the Eastern Conference standings about who's clinched a playoff seed, the top five seeds are all clinched. They're all in the playoffs where you have three up for grabs. And in the Western Conference, only the top two have clinched with the next six still up for grabs. So a little bit more volatility, I guess, is maybe the word to use here in the Western Conference. So you've got Portland comfortably at three. They're 46 and 29. They are two games ahead of the Oklahoma City Thunder, who sit in fourth. Portland did lose last night without Damian Lillard away for the birth of his child. They did lose to upstart Memphis, who has now beaten the Timberwolves and Portland all within a week, causing a little bit of havoc there in the Western Conference. But the Blazers are, I think most people assume, they're going to be locked into that three seed, and that's really what it does look like. Uh, So they're two games ahead of the Oklahoma City Thunder, who are in fourth. Then the Oklahoma City Thunder are 44-31. and They're one game ahead of both the San Antonio Spurs and then the New Orleans Pelicans, who hit or who sit five and six. The Timberwolves are at seven, 43 and 33. They're just a half game behind New Orleans. So New Orleans is a half game out of the seventh spot. And then you've got the Utah Jazz, who also lost last night to the Boston Celtics. Boston had a pretty furious rally last night uh, in the fourth quarter, coming back to win that game, a game they led a big time on. Jazz had a big third quarter. Boston had a big fourth quarter, and that was enough to give them a 97-94 victory there. Jazz only had 15 points in that second quarter. Not ideal uh, for them. So the Jazz are in eighth, 42-33. in They're just one game behind the New Orleans Pelicans. And then you've got the Clippers at nine. They are 41-34. and They're two games back of New Orleans, just one game back of the Jazz for that final playoff spot. Then you've got the Denver Nuggets, who have just been terrible recently. They're 40-35. and They are three games back of the Pels. Likely a team you don't need to worry about all that much. They can't win on the road whatsoever. Uh, but look, this isn't 
uh, guarantee that the Pelicans will make the playoffs. You have to figure with two almost guaranteed victories, though nothing's quite guaranteed here, especially when you see a team like the Memphis Grizzlies beating the Timberwolves and the Portland Trailblazers in the Phoenix Suns and that scary, maybe scary Grizzlies team. So as I'm pulling up the remaining strength of schedule here, the Pelicans are in. And they could fall anywhere from, say, 4 to 10, likely 4 to 8. And this begs the question that everyone's been asking me recently. Well, who do you want to play in the first round? What I say first and foremost to this is just get in. I do not care if the only options are either just stay home or play Houston and Golden State rather than play Houston or Golden State without a doubt. After that, it's anyone but the Jazz or really the Timberwolves. The The Jazz have kind of had the Pelicans number a little bit this year. Rudy Gobert does a very good job of marking Anthony Davis out of a game, and I don't want to see that kind of happen because they're going to really rely on him, obviously, in the playoffs to kind of shoulder the scoring load. That's a team that scares me. And then the the Timberwolves with Jimmy Butler have just had the Pels number one all four games this year. So obviously not a team you want to face, leaving you the Spurs, the Thunder, or the Blazers, who all teams I think the Pelicans match up fairly well with and can play fairly well with. Though maybe Portland out of that group of three is the one you don't want to play. But if you can get the Spurs or the Thunder in the first round of the playoffs, particularly if the Pelicans win either of those next two, either of the games coming up with them, the two they have remaining, I think that would look really good and you have to feel pretty good. So upcoming strength of schedule, just to kind of throw it out there, even though it's not the biggest thing, Denver or OKC has the second toughest strength of schedule. They got seven games left. Denver's got the third toughest strength of schedule. They also have seven games left. San Antonio is the fifth, seven games. Clippers, six. So Clippers and Denver in the top six when it comes to opponent strength of schedule going forward. That is a very, very good thing. Then you've got um, in the playoff race, the Utah Jazz at 12. They've got seven. All the teams have seven games, I guess it looks like. Portland's at 13, seven games remaining, and then New Orleans at 14. You have the uh, Timberwolves down at 26. Look, they're probably going to get in as well. I think we're looking at the standings in some order right now for the Western Conference playoff race with the Clippers in Denver being out. Now, Things might change. Who knows? Denver also has to play the Clippers upcoming. That's definitely a good thing for them. Uh, So we'll see, but it's not going to be easy. And then Denver's upcoming schedule two games against the Timberwolves too. If they can win both of those, it shakes up the standings even more. So there's some potential for these teams below the Pels in the standings to really do some damage to each other. But the Pels do have them upcoming on their schedule too somewhat so there's a chance that the standings could get shaken up where they are with games against OKC and the Spurs and then of course the Warriors as well along with the Clippers so we're going to see how it goes it's going to be a furious finish to the end there's no guarantees yet here in the Western Conference playoff race so later in the podcast I'm going to make the case for Drew Holiday as first team all defense but I also made the case in yesterday's podcast for Anthony Davis as defensive player of the year. I also make a pretty similar case and use some of the same numbers along with some additional stats up there over at lockedonpelicans.com so make sure you check it out and give it a read over and see why Anthony Davis should be defensive player of the year. All right, let's do a little bit of a quick mailbag here on Locked on Pelicans. I opened it up for questions yesterday. got a couple of good ones in, so we'll take these and try to try and talk about this team kind of in generally. And I want to start with one here. This comes from Jonathan SOBO, at Jonathan SOBO. Um, Will Miritich and Miller continue to look horrendous because it would be nice to have a third option with Clark being inconsistent? 
There's definitely been some concerns about Mirotic's shooting in offense, offense, and I don't think it's some concerns. I think there's major concerns. He's in a slump right now, and there's no doubt about that. And shooters in slumps can really hurt you. But what really is he supposed to do other than try and keep shooting out of it or have the all-star break or wait for the season to end so he can just kind of hit the reset button on everything? I think it's a mental thing with him now. He's missed a little bit, particularly at home. He's had some decent away games, but at home on that Smoothie King center court, he really seems to struggle. And it's probably in his head. And you've seen it. He launches one short and then overcorrects a little bit much on the next shot and shoots it way too long. That usually is a mental thing. He's overthinking this. He just needs to go out and play and hope it comes back to kind of average. We're not even looking for good or great here. We're just looking for average. The good thing is he does try on defense. He is a valuable rebounder. This isn't like when Ryan Anderson was here and he would go cold from three and just give you absolutely nothing in his minutes on the court. Miritich is playing well, at least on the defensive side, somewhat. Now, he gives you nothing on offense. He's taking those quick shots early in the shot clock. But when you're playing with this very fast pace, Using a possession like that to see if he can hit a shot, to see if he can maybe get going, isn't the worst thing because you're going to have many more other possessions and one or two empty ones, one or two empty ones, not more than that really, is okay. You know, I think this is just going to continue till he kind of gets it and who knows what it is. Maybe it's more shots in practice. Talk to some of the coaches with the team. They think it's a mental thing as well. Hopefully he'll be able to come around and get this because the Pelicans, should they make the playoffs, certainly would need him. When it comes to Miller, I think it's more you're just seeing who he is. I think he kind of just had a run early on in the season where he was playing really well and his comeback down to earth. We've seen this with the three-point shooting. They led the league in what, from mid-December to mid-January, but a lot of that had to do with DeMarcus Cousins taking something like six or seven three-point attempts per game and making a good bit of them. Often as that trailing man, which I've written about over at bourbonstreetshots.com in transition, and now all of a sudden you take him out of the equation and the shooting doesn't look so good. Remember early on in the year when a lot of people were worried about the Pelicans shooting and shooters in their situation there? They're starting to look correct when people were screaming at them. So just keep that in mind with everything. So, you know, I think this is where you're seeing these guys come back down to earth. There's a reason no, that Miller wasn't in the league. If he can get back again to average, this is regression to the mean here. They started off hot. They're coming back down to earth. They've dropped below the average here. Now they need to just kind of find their like happy medium. I think you'll see it be okay, but I don't think you're really going to get much more than this from Darius Miller. You know, he was never going to be a 20-point-per-game guy. He's not really much other than just a spot-up three-point shooter. He doesn't seem confident enough to drive a ton though you see it on occasion and he creates out of that he's not a black hole so if the ball hits the sands it's not like he's going to shoot he can keep passing it and maybe look for a better option but overall it's just a dude soaking up minutes out there and I think that's all you're really looking at with that guy right now and I think that's just kind of the player that he is Next question comes from Daniel Harris, NXOXHDH48. You guys have annoying, long, weird Twitter names. Sorry. It was, what are the odds Rondo comes back next year, and will we see Solomon Hill play more minutes as the playoffs approach? I think the answer to both of these, just simply put, if I wanted to leave it at that, would be yes. I think you'll see Rondo come back. There's just not going to be a ton out there for the Pelicans to get, particularly because I do feel they're going to re-sign um, DeMarcus Cousins early in the offseason to a near max deal, leaving with them without really any money to spend, even though they're playing okay without him. And that's been one of the questions here that do you like the different style of play more than the style of play with DeMarcus Cousins? That's a valid question. So 
I think they'll bring Rondo back. I think he'd want to come back. I think they'll like him back. They can likely get him maybe on a vet minimum deal, something like that, which is what it almost might take. Unless you want to use part of the mid-level exception, depending on which one they have available. It could be less. Maybe you don't want to do that. That would be the reason why not. Uh, for Solomon Hill, yeah, you're going to see his minutes increase. This is kind of according to the schedule that I thought you would see from it. Go look back at Chris Middleton from last year with the Milwaukee Bucks. He had a similar, pretty pretty almost exactly the same injury, I think, that uh, Solomon Hill has had. It took him, you know, about 10 or so games to be hitting a full workload. Solomon Hill's, what, five into this so far? So he's starting to kind of get his legs under him. You're seeing the minutes increase every single game. He played about 20 last game. I think you'll see 25 uh, upcoming here on Friday against the Cavs, who beat the Hornets last night, by the way. They got that kind of angry revenge, not revenge game out, but vengeful game from LeBron out of the way, which maybe is good for the Pels. So, I think you'll see him increase. He's shown very good lateral quickness. The def his defending is not ideal out there, but I think you're seeing him be better than Solomon, not than um, Etwan Moore or uh, Darius Miller. So I think that's been a good thing. He'll give the Pels some valuable minutes in the playoffs, at least defensively. He's also showing a little bit more aggression offensively. He's willing to attack off the drive, something he didn't do a lot of last year. You like to see that out of him. This Pelicans team is best, as we all know, when they are aggressive, when they attack, when they create that way. So I think that's going to be a good thing to see from him in the playoffs and maybe give the Pelicans some solid minutes when you go to a much shorter rotation. And finally, Chris Barnwell, at Chris Barnwell, B-A-R-N-E-W-A-L-L, is asking, and by the way, this is a good friend of mine, NBA writer for CBS. He does their power rankings for him, so when those come out weekly, be sure to scream at him because the Pelicans are not rated highly enough in there. And he goes, what species of bird are they, the Pelicans, most closely related to? And Chris, to answer your question, the species of bird that the Pelicans are most closely related to is your mom. So before I actually answer one question and use that to kind of jump into the next thing I want to talk about, make sure you listen to the Locked On NBA podcast daily. And as always, I'm there on Wednesdays hosting with John Corrales. We have a lot of fun. Hit some interesting topics, recap the night before, preview the night upcoming, talk about the biggest stories in the NBA. So make sure you subscribe to the Locked On NBA podcast. So in the mailbag questions that I opened up yesterday, NBA artist Art underscore NBA tweeted at me, Gary Payton's top five defensive guards, and I don't know if this comes from players only, and I think this definitely means they don't watch games or analyze games like other people do if this is on there. So Gary Payton's top five defensive guards, you start with Patrick Beverly. I think that's a good choice. Marcus Smart is on there. I think that's good too. Chris Paul, I think, is a fair choice to throw on there. And then I don't really take issue because I don't care that much. Um, you have Lonzo Ball. I don't think you can really throw a rookie on there because they're just usually not nearly as good as veteran players. Simple as that. Even though Ball is a pretty good defensive rookie, not still one of the top five defensive guards in the NBA. And then you have Rajon Rondo on there. And I think we all know that that old Rondo of the past is not the one we're seeing here in New Orleans. Instead, we're seeing... A different, a different defensive guard that is here in New Orleans wrecking havoc on players, uh, blocking all kinds of big shots to keep the Pelicans in games, and a guy that should be first-team all-defense. And you guys know who I'm talking about. It's Drew 
holiday. So I'm not going to dive into as many stats for Drew as I did Anthony Davis yesterday. And the reason for that is because it's easier to get quantifiable stats on big men than it is on guards. Anthony Davis defending shots at the rim. We know he's defending those because he's down low and he's so close to the guy. Defensive, when it comes to perimeter players, it's a little bit harder because of the way the NBA stat site kind of accumulates this and tags people as a primary defender. You could be, they're, they're always going to have a defender defending a shot, even if that person had their back to them and wasn't anywhere near them. And it's going to look bad for, say, a guy like Drew Holiday or what have you because of a missed defensive assignment for someone else. That's how this works. When it's in the paint, it's a little bit easier because you know the guy's actually defending him in the paint and isn't just standing there watching them, most likely. There's still a little bit of noise in there, but not nearly as much as perimeter players. And then perimeter players, when they're fighting through screens and things like that, it's usually only who defends the shot action, not versus what happened before it. So you see a lot of these guys not really getting credit for their defensive work in some of these stats and some of these numbers. So we're not going to look at some of that same stuff, but there's still quantifiable ways to look at Drew Holiday, and certainly we're going to be doing that. So let's kind of take a quick look here defensively from the Pelicans lead guard, not point guard, lead guard. Biggest thing here, defensive rating, and this is where Drew really does shine. Without Drew on the court, they, the Pelicans have a 113.4 defensive rating. 113.4, that's higher than the one for Anthony Davis, which is now a 110.3. Uh, 113.4 when Drew sits, it's 103.7 when he is on the court. That is a difference of negative 9.7. So this team is almost 10 points per 100 possessions worse with Drew Holiday off the court versus on it. That is an insane number, leads the team uh, in terms of guys with significant minutes by far, and I'd be willing to bet when you look at guys with, say, over 2,000 minutes played, is one of the highest in the NBA. That beats the Anthony Davis one, which is a negative six. That also beats out guys like Rudy Gobert and others um, that we talked about and looked at in yesterday's podcast. Let me take a quick look and see. Yeah, that beats out Rudy Gobert by about two points per 100 possession. So significantly better with Drew on the court versus off the court. That's just the big thing here. As a side note, uh, Drew almost, or I think was for a little while, was leading the league in, I think, comp uh, like net rating, net rating more or less is maybe the way to look at it. The on-court, off-court differential with a 13.5. The Pelicans are significantly, significantly better with him on the court versus off the court to the tune of almost 14 points per 100 possessions. That is a lot. Daniel Salerson tweeted it out the other night that Drew Holiday is also leading the league in blocks for guys under, and I'm blanking on Drew Holiday's height, so let's look that up. I wonder, was he 6'4", six, 6'5"? Six, I can't remember here. 6'4 and under, there we go. So he's leading the league in blocks for guys 6'4 and under, which is pretty impressive. He's also in the top 20 when it comes to total steals and just outside the top 20 when it comes to steals per game, averaging 1.4. Then we let get into those advanced metrics that we talked about um, yesterday when it comes to Anthony Davis. I'm going to use the NBA's real plus minus here, which again, not the best number, but there's some value from it. And if you look at it in terms of point guard and shooting guard, the Pelicans uh, backcourt man here and Drew Holiday is in the top 10 when it comes to defensive real plus minus. Drew Holiday sits at one59 
Um, for guys who are averaging like significant minutes per game in terms of point guards, that puts him just behind Lonzo Ball and Ben Simmons. And I think overall, he's a better on-ball defender than both of those guys. He's also switching even more than some of them because you see him guard up a position and he actually averages guarding guys who are 6'6 when you take a look at that. And that's a stat I've seen out there for as well. When it comes to this as well, you know, that 1.59 puts him in good company when you look at the shooting guards. Andre Roberson was likely going to lead the league in this before his injury, but 39 games, 26 and a half minutes per game, not going to cut it. You got Victor Oladipo out there who's been very good defensively. Jimmy Butler who's very good defensively. But ignore guys like Sandarius Thornwell and, and Danny Green who's maybe not playing enough minutes per game to necessarily really beat out Drew Holiday. And he's in the top three there when it comes to shooting guards as well. And we've seen it all year. Again, defense as I said yesterday is one of those things. Sometimes you just need to watch it and it's as simple as that and Drew Holiday's playing outstanding basketball on the defensive side of the ball whether it's blocking shots whether it's guarding up multiple positions the reason the Pelican switching scheme works so well in the pick and roll defense is because hey he's cool with it he can guard Dirk and he can guard Harrison Barnes I don't know why I picked two uh, Dallas players randomly off the top of my head but he can do all of this and the numbers back it up and he's played significantly uh, much better this year defensively when he's always been good and he's just been ridiculous when it comes to it don't forget that game stealing saving winning steal against the Clippers early on the year on the road in a game they really needed to win then this is a guy who's played out of his mind and it echoes what Alvin Gentry said the other day in the pregame media availability saying he doesn't think anyone in the backcourt's been as good as Drew Holiday defensively this year and that he should absolutely and Alvin Gentry's probably biased opinion. There's no reason to leave him off that all defense team and I very much agree with him with how well Drew Holiday has played recently. So that's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Pelicans. One more day to go of podcast this week. Friday, we'll preview the Cavs game. We'll preview the OKC game. Get you set for the weekend and take any other questions you guys might have. It's been fun today. So thank you all for listening. As always, I'm your host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter. And I'll be back with you all tomorrow.